0: Wednesday, February 28, 2018, this is Born to Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. February's done. Today's the last day. Hope you enjoyed it. Two months already down out of the year. 2018 is flying by, rolling right into March. March is Women's History Month, and for the duration of March, each week I will be featuring a woman athlete, Women veteran athletes. Uh, very excited about that. There's a chance that other programming may still exist because, boy, have I gotten a lot of interviews lately. Uh, and I don't want them to just be sitting in the can waiting to be released. So uh, may may do a two-a-week. Uh, may, may scatter a few... Uh, extra ones in there, but each week definitely featuring a women veteran athlete as part of the initiative out of the Center for Women Veterans, recognizing women athletes during the month of March. Very excited to partner with them on that feature, these great women veterans. Today's interview is with Randy Reeves. Randy is the Undersecretary for Memorial Affairs. He was nominated by the current administration and confirmed back in November and since has already uh, been a boots on the ground kind of guy. He visited Puerto Rico shortly after their disaster to to represent VA down there and to see the efforts going on there and to provide uh, his support and encouragement however he could. Randy and I sat down and and chatted and look, there's a lot of people in this space that are passionate about serving veterans. A lot of us uh, resonate with that mission, but there's there's a handful of people that you can tell just have a calling to serving veterans, and Randy Reeves is one of those guys. He's going to talk to us about his time in the military, his transition out, losing a friend, and how that loss has kept him motivated and committed to serving veterans however he can, and especially now under his role of Undersecretary for Memorial Affairs. Enjoy. out of the military, I was missing this camaraderie. It's frustrating when you try and talk to people that don't understand. I still had the anger, I still had the addictions, but we didn't talk about that. Came to a point where it's like, okay, I really need to talk to somebody about
1: this. Family more or less encouraged me, you know, go
0: go to the VA. It's okay to go get help. It's okay to talk to people, because it takes true strength to ask for help.
1: Hear veterans'
0: real stories of strength and recovery at maketheconnection.net. You
1: were an Air Force and Navy veteran, right? I was. I uh, was originally in the Air Force. I was uh, uh, went in as an enlisted guy in 1980, uh, right out of uh, basically right out of high school. Yeah. And then uh, I had the opportunity to go to school at night, uh, and then uh, later on I was commissioned in the United States Navy.
0: Okay, right? so. Take us The one thing that all veterans have in common is uh, the decision to join the military, right? Different branches, different careers, different, you know, but we all come back to that one similar moment of deciding, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Why did you make that decision?
1: Well, uh, bef- when I left high school, you know, I, I was at the point getting ready to graduate from high school. And I looked at, well, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Uh, what am I, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? And I frankly had never been very far from Newton County, Mississippi uh, when I graduated from high school. Uh, Contrary to my belief when I was 18, I wasn't nearly as worldly as I thought. Uh, But I had had always looked up to my grandfather, I'd looked up to my family members who had served in the military. And I said, you know, I think that's what I need to do right now. is to go in the military, first of all, figure out what the rest of my life would be. But I thought it was the right thing to do, and I know now that it was, uh, to start my life serving. Uh, There were a lot of folks during that period of time, it was 1980, wasn't that far after the Vietnam War, and and, and recruiting was not as good as it could have been uh, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, and a lot of people you know, kind of looked at me and said, well, why are you going in the military? Because everybody else was going off to college, they were going to careers, they were doing different things. And you know, I just decided to make that decision. And even though you know, there may have been people back then that disagreed with me, it's the best decision I've ever made in my life. Yeah. Because I'm where I'm at and I'm who I am because of that service. It built the foundation for the rest of my life. And how far out of Mississippi did it end up bringing you? Uh, How far can you get from Mississippi? Uh, Having been in the Air Force and the Navy, uh, you know, know, I've been around the world. uh, Pretty much, uh, uh, you know, my first time outside of the United States. I served for a year in Korea. Uh, I was enlisted in the Air Force uh, at that time. And frankly, that's where I met my wife. We were both enlisted people in the Air Force during that time. Uh, and of course, in the Navy, uh, uh, if you can just about name an ocean, I've been in it. Yeah. Uh, and I spent a lot of, the, at least the last part of my career, the last 10 years of my career, most of that was spent in the, in the Middle East. And I, I spent a total of 27 years.
0: Tell me about a close friend or a great leader that you had in the military. And you can choose either one of them, but tell me about that person.
1: Well, you know, uh, when I think about friends that I had in the military... And when I think about great leaders uh, that I knew in the military, uh, some of them are are the same. They were my friend and they were great leaders. Uh, I've known many admirals that that have gone to prominence. I've known a lot of generals that, and I've known senior enlisted folks who have really become great leaders in the military. But I think the one person, frankly, that I've got to point out is my best friend. I told you that my wife served also and she's retired from the Air Force. And I had one of the most unique honors uh, after I was commissioned as an officer in the Navy. She retired as a master sergeant in the Air Force and I was the speaker at her retirement. And I reflected back on what I would say and how I would describe her service and our life together. And frankly, she's my hero. My wife went in the military in, in the mid, late 70s. And frankly, you know, things, conditions for women in the military uh, were were not that great then. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was a man's world. But you know what, she served and she rose through the ranks as an enlisted person and worked at, you know, headquarters level, but strategic air command, air combat command at, at Langley Air Force Base, and really set a standard for people, you know, Uh, that you know I've not observed you know uh, in many places in my life so for a leader and a friend I'd have to say my wife because she truly is when I I look back at the military I have a lot of people I look up to a lot of people I learned from but she is without a doubt the person I'm most proud of
0: that's great you know, the, the name of the podcast is Born the Battle, and we know not every veteran sees literal combat, but we all face some sort of challenge, difficulty, adversity while we're in. Do you have an experience like that you can recall upon and, and how you dealt with it?
1: I've got a lot of experiences probably that I could look back on and, and call upon, both in, uh, in the combat zone and in uh, you know, difficult situations, both as, as a person following leaders and as a person who was in command himself. But when I think of adversity uh, while in the military and situations that I look back on, I would think of times that maybe I could have done better. Uh, And uh, I I will apologize ahead of time because I'm gonna gonna tell you this story, but I'll probably get a little emotional. So I hope that's okay. That's fine, yeah. When I was in the military, I had command. And I had a chief petty officer who was my command chief, that's the senior enlisted uh, in your command that takes care of your troops. Uh, You know, kind of like a first sergeant or or a top sergeant in the army. Uh, And uh, he, he is a person, his name was Rick Tate, Chief Rick Tate. He made me successful in command because he took care of my sailors and frankly took care of me, made sure that the command was as it should be, so I was successful. And then I left command, and, and, and of course, he went off to other commands also. I went to back to ships, and he went back to ships. Well, he had spent 26 years of his life in the Navy, and it was time for him to retire. And at the end of that time in the Navy, he felt like, I think, because his military career was over, his life was over, so he took his own life. As I look back on that, I think about maybe I could have seen something, maybe I could have done something that would have made a difference. And I regret that I was unable to do that. And when we talk about adversity and how we feel about things that we could have done better or things that that we went through, The toughest thing, even with all the situations I've been in in the military, the toughest thing I've ever gone through was to have to lose him. Every morning I get up and he and others like him are the reason I go to work. So when we talk about adversity, that's the kind of thing that I will always remember and that's the reason that I'll always serve veterans.
0: I appreciate you sharing that with us. After 27 years of, uh, of service, how did you know it was time to move on? Or did the Navy tell you it was time to move on?
1: No, the Navy didn't tell me it was time to move on. As a matter of fact, uh, I could have stayed around the Navy for, for quite quite a, a, a long time, you know, a no, number of, of years after that. But I retired with 27 years of active duty. But the reason I retired is because I had gotten senior as an officer. uh, And I was in a position where I was going to be in staffs a lot, meaning, you know, in buildings uh, and running staff jobs, headquarters, those kinds of things. And I got to tell you, just like I am now, and and the folks that work with me will tell you that I get, you know, kind of antsy when I'm in the building too much. And that's why I go out in the field, you know, with the people that are actually doing the work. And when it became time uh, and I knew that I was not going to go back to ships uh, as a routine and be in, uh, you know, in Navy ships uh, as, as, uh, as my daily work, being the sailor I was and the sailor I am, I knew it was time to retire. And frankly, what I wanted to do is I wanted to go out when I was really feeling good about it and when I was on top, and that's the way I was able to leave, and I'm I'm very fortunate and glad that that's what I was able to do. But to answer your question, if I'm not operational, I'm not living, and that's why people will see me out at our cemeteries a lot, uh, is because that's where I need to be. Sure.
0: as you even identified with uh, the story you told, veterans struggle with transition. Um, How did, what was your experience like?
1: Actually, uh, I have to tell you, I had a a good experience with transition. Uh, They, uh, at the time I retired in 2008, and a lot had been done to institute transition programs, TAPs. Uh, I also went through what's called the benefits delivery at discharge, you know, to transition uh, with uh, uh, for military service and, and and connect with benefits you know with the VA, uh, I was sent to uh, I retired uh, at Millington, Tennessee, which is a Navy personnel command and the closest site you know for me to do that transition that uh, BDD and uh, and some of the taps process was at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, uh, and I went up there and I met some of the greatest people in the world, veteran service organizations. Uh, who helped me through that process, along with the process that, you know, the Department of the Navy, you know, provided. But I think the most important thing was my ability to be and my my fortunate uh, situation to be able to connect with veteran service organizations and other veterans who helped me through that transition process. Uh, And I think that's what really solidified uh, my desire to, you know, when I retired, to find ways to serve other veterans. But to answer your question simply, I had a good, I had a really good experience in my transition, because there were people available to help me.
0: Yeah, um, and it, you can um, you can fill in whatever gap you want between getting out of the Navy and where you are now, if, if you feel like the, it, uh, the context is necessary. But um, you know, when, um, when the administration approached you about taking this position, what, what inspired you to, to take it on?
1: Well, I will fill in just a little bit. Sure. Uh, when I left active duty, I left active duty in uh, the fall of 2008. Uh, there was an opportunity that I saw that was coming available. Mississippi, where I'm from and where I was living, uh, was going to build its first state veterans cemetery. I had done construction before, you know, in the Navy and uh, meaning building ships and you know and, and running projects. So I figured, you know, that that's something I could. I've never built a cemetery, but you know, I can uh, I can transfer my skills to that. So uh, I was interviewed and, and asked to to uh, uh, to come on as the first uh, cemetery director for the state of Mississippi for their state veteran state veteran cemetery. And during that period of time, I worked with. Uh, NCA specifically, to get the grant to build the cemetery and then uh, worked on the design of the cemetery and, and worked through the construction. And ultimately, I ended up as the uh, uh, state director for Mississippi, the state director of Veterans Affairs. That, at the state level, that would be back, the secretary of Veterans Affairs is basically what that would be for a state, uh, and then had the opportunity to work uh, with all of my state directors across the country and became the president of the National Association of State Directors representing all 50 states and, and the territories. But now, uh, to, to the question that you asked, when I was asked to come and do this job, the first thing frankly that I said was, I'll go anywhere to serve veterans if I can make a difference you know, for the veterans of our country. And then I followed that with, why do you want me to go and do that job? NCA is really good organization. They don't need my help. Uh, I, I honestly said that to yeah. the administration. Uh, and then they said, no, but we need you to come as a part of VA. And it was gonna give you an opportunity to be able to serve veterans on a wider scale than you're doing now back in Mississippi. and. That's what got me. I immediately said, you know, you're right. Whether I'm in Mississippi or whether I'm in Washington, as long as I'm serving veterans, I'm doing the job that I w- that I believe I was meant to do. And this is the most sacred job, frankly, that I think that any of us could do is to care for our veterans and their families in what is arguably the most difficult time of their life. And we're not just about in NCAA in the National Cemetery Administration, and we're not just about burials or internments. We're about memorialization of our veterans. That's, that means that's a whole lot more than just doing a burial.
0: Absolutely.
1: We have a, commi- we have a responsibility, and I'm committed to it, to make sure that our veterans are never forgotten. And people hear me say this next thing and they look at me funny when I do, and that's okay. My goal is to make sure that no veteran ever dies. And what that means is, as long as we are telling their stories, and as long as we're saying their names, and we're making sure that our veterans are remembered for who they are and what they did, they truly never will die. And the truth of the matter is, is, We all serve in the military, those of us who are veterans. May have served four years, may have served 27 years like me, may have served more. But most all of our veterans make their greatest contributions after they leave military service. They become CEOs of companies and every once in a while one becomes the Undersecretary for Memorial Affairs. (laughs) But if I can help others our veterans and their families through the toughest times that they have in their life, you know, the, the loss of a loved one, and at the same time with our team members here at VA, help our veterans realize the potential and who, and what they can do after military service, which is something that's very, very important to me. And I've done, every, I've done more than I could have ever imagined that I would be able to, or be given the opportunity to do.
0: Yeah. I don't know where this saying originates, but I, I've heard the, the um, saying that, you know, you die twice, right? Um, when you are first buried, and then the last time that someone speaks your name.
1: Well, actually, originally, it's, a, it's really a Jewish proverb. Is it? Uh, okay. And what is said is that every person dies at least two deaths. Mm-hmm. They die the, the last time breath leaves them, but they only truly die later on sometime when no one ever speaks their name.
0: Yeah.
1: And my commitment to are the veterans of this nation is to make sure to the fullest extent that I possibly can that their stories are told and their names are spoken forever so they never will be forgotten and so that they never will die.
0: You've only been in office uh, for a short time so far, but I'm sure that, um, do, do you have an experience from your time here that, that reassures you that you, can't, that you are accomplishing what you came here to, to do?
1: Well, I wouldn't frame anything, whether it's today or whether it's two years from now, that I'm accomplishing one thing or another. Sure. What I would frame that as, and what the truth is, is that I'm seeing VA and I'm seeing NCA accomplish great things for our veterans every day. The programs that are being put in place, the services that are being provided, the modernization and improvement across VA, and me being able to be a part of that, even if it's only now for a short time and and on into the future, If I can be a small, small part of that, then I've made a difference. I was down in Puerto Rico uh, a couple of weeks ago to check on our team members there. Had an opportunity to visit uh, the National Cemetery there, Puerto Rico National Cemetery, visit the VA Medical Center in San Juan, visit the state cemetery that's over in Aguadilla, and also visit uh, the regional office and and some other sites, uh, one of the Seabox over in uh, Uh, In Arecibo, but one of the things that touched me the most is I was able to go out with a group of veterans who are there helping other veterans on the ground in Puerto Rico who have been affected by the uh, you know the recent hurricanes Maria specifically, and I went out with them delivering uh, uh, generators to veterans there, and I met a young man. His name is Jason Maddie. Uh, and he's with the Veterans Disaster Relief uh, is the name of the organization. But this is a young man who came from the United States, uh, just only gonna be there for just a few days, uh, and he's been there for months, you know, raising money, buying generators, helping veterans, uh, because much of the country, or not country, but much of the territory uh, there still is without, you know, power and water, but they're there specifically to help their fellow veterans. And what he said to me when I talked to him, he said, you know, when I came here, I was expecting to help others, you know, for just a little while, but for months, this experience and being here with these veterans has helped me more than I could probably ever help them. Young man, been through combat, a lot of things going on but that service that he is doing that caring for other veterans has helped him through his post-service time too and, and, and I don't think he would mind me saying that because he was very upfront about it yeah. and to be quite frank with you I'm a little older than him but when I heard him say those words and I and I looked at him I was looking at myself because serving every day, and I think most every veteran that you talk to who serves other veterans or serves other people in this country would tell you the same thing. They get a whole lot more, and I know I do, I get a whole lot more than I ever give, you know, because that's what makes life worth living. Sure.
0: Every. There's always room for improvement. Mm-hmm. No matter how well something's running, there's always a way that something could be marginally better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as, as you look at NCA and memorial fairs and, and VA's efforts to memorialize veterans, um, you know, maybe in a, a short-term plan with something you'd like to see, uh, maybe not improve, but just um, so what would you like to see in your organization, whether it's uh, doing something a little bit better, you know, providing a service uh, that's that's not being delivered as efficiently. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm wording this quite right, no, that's but I think, okay. I think you're catching on to what I'm asking.
1: Well, you know that uh, National Cemetery Administration is one of the most highly rated and regarded organizations in the United States, whether it's in government or out of government. Yep. As far as customer service satisfaction, is max, as, ma- as a matter of fact, we're the highest.
0: Mm-hmm. With a score of 96. Yep. yep.
1: Absolutely. Uh, now the... The thing that I'm focusing on and that we're focusing on right now is, yes, we are performing very, very well. But I'm here to be a part of further enhancing what is already great. And what I mean by that is is we have veterans, and, and this is very, very important to me. Right now, uh, 92% of our veterans across the country have a dignified burial option in a national, state, or tribal cemetery within within 75 miles of their home. That's 92%. By 2020, we're gonna make that 95%. And my, one of my greatest priorities is to address what I call the hardest 5%. We're gonna get that 95%, but how do I push forward to make sure that all of the veterans across the country have that dignified burial option within 75 miles of their home. There are a number of different things that we're doing, working with states and tribal governments, working with uh, you know private organizations to be able to do that. That's priority one for me. And priority 1A, I guess I would call it for me, is pushing forward with our new office of Memorial Innovation, engagement Memorial Innovation, in being able to reach all of our veterans, being able to partner with more educational institutions, colleges, and universities across the country to be able to uh, gather and tell the stories of our veterans, whether they're buried in our cemeteries or not, and also to be able to partner with private organizations, companies, to, so that that endeavor, that uh, that project, doesn't stop just because you know I may move on, you know, at whatever time. Yeah. Uh, what I'm trying to do right now is build sustainability into our organization to make sure that that those things continue on. Because when I was in the in the Navy, we ought, we we didn't think so much about what was going on today. We thought about how we make things sustainable. And what that means is to me, is, as we said in the Navy, it's not nearly as important what you're doing today as it is what you leave in your wake. Yeah. If the organization runs well, if the things that you have done last after you're gone, then you've been successful. And that's what I'm trying to do right now.
0: It's wonderful. So the last couple of questions, feel free to be as brief as, as you'd like. Tell me about a skill set or a discipline um, or an experience that you had while you're in the military that's contributing to your success today?
1: A skill set that contributes to today, the discipline, specifically that I learned in the military, mm-hmm. my ability to be able to focus on the small things and build upon the small things successes to make the big things happen. There was an admiral, I think it was Admiral McRaven, who was a SEAL, and one of the big things he always says is, if you don't do anything else today, make your bed. And there's a lot of wisdom in that. And what that just simply means is, is that, start off with the small things and accomplish something, you know, right from the start and then build upon it for the rest of the day or the rest of the week or the rest of the month or for years, but focus on the routine, focus on the small things so that you can build the big successes. That discipline is what has really carried me through for a long, long time, and that, I believe, and that mindset that the military taught me is really the thing that will help me here in making sure that we're able to serve veterans for a very long time. Yeah,
0: that, that advice, always make your bed in the morning is, is wonderful is. advice. Um, you, you start the day with an accomplished task. Mm-hmm. Um, I notice that I'm more likely to to, to Police my surrounding areas as I when I start that way, right? So, if I make my bed, I'm more likely to pick the socks up off the floor, which means I'm more likely to close the closet doors, but you know, and just make the entire and it all. But if I don't do that one thing of making the bed, I'm less likely to do any of those things past that.
1: And all that is, as I said before, is just simply if you start off right first thing in the morning, the rest of the day is going to follow,
0: yeah. I always start my day off right cuz my wife brings me coffee first thing in the morning. Well,
1: I'm going to talk to my wife about that. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's she wakes up a half an hour earlier than I do. So right as I'm waking up is when she when coffee's ready and she she delivers it to me at bedside. Well, I
1: hope this is going to be on this podcast because I want my wife to hear that. <laughs>
0: I'll leave it in just that way you have audio proof. Final question, tell me about a veteran or a veteran organization that you're familiar with that, uh, aside from NCA, of course, um, that has you excited about what they're doing right now.
1: Well, I just, you know, I told you just a few minutes ago about Jason Maddy uh, and Veteran Disaster Relief and what they're doing. I left Puerto Rico after I was with Jason Maddy and and his group uh, of veterans. Uh, I left there inspired. I left there energized because and they're not the only ones, but I'm just using Jason as a, and, and Veterans Disaster Relief as an example. There are so many out there that are doing similar things, but I think most recently, it's Jason and Veterans Disaster Relief that got me the, the most excited about veterans, helping veterans, and then the other part of that is me being a veteran because it doesn't matter if I'm here as the Undersecretary of Memorial Affairs, and it doesn't matter if I'm on the ground in Puerto Rico, handing out, uh, you know, generators. I'm serving veterans, and that excites me. Uh, and I could name probably a dozen or more, you know, off the top of my head. But most recently, that's who got me the most excited about serving veterans, just because I saw what they were doing with, frankly, not much and that's really what it's all about. That's
0: right, adapt and overcome. Absolutely. Mr. Reeves, I really appreciate you, uh, you joining me. Um, appreciate your time, thank you for your service to our country and your continued service to Veterans to Memorial Affairs.
1: Thank you very much. I served in Vietnam.
0: I served in Iraq.
1: No matter where you served or when, VA has benefits for
0: veterans of every generation. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, Visit www.va.gov. To learn more about memorial affairs and the efforts and initiatives happening there, you can go to semcem.va.gov. That's going to bring you to the Burial and Memorial Benefits homepage. And you can also follow them on Twitter at nat. Cemeteries. That's at V A N A T Cemeteries. Today's Medal of Honor citation reading is for Thomas Reeves. Uh, I like to go into the uh, citation um, archives, the Medal of Honor recipients archives, uh, and see if I can find a recipient that uh, shares a name uh, of the of the guest or a commonality. Uh, or if there's a, if there's a citation that is uh, topical to the time of the year this time around I searched Reeves and sure enough we have one medal of honor recipient with the last name Reeves Thomas Reeves United States Navy was a radio electrician during World War II was part was on the USS California year of honor is 1941 citation reads For distinguished conduct in the line of his profession, extraordinary courage and disregard for his own safety during the attack on the fleet in Pearl Harbor by the Japanese forces on 7 December 1941. After the mechanized ammunition hoists were put out of action on the USS California, Reeves, on his own initiative, in a burning passageway, assisted in the maintenance of an ammunition supply by hand to the anti-aircraft guns until he was overcome by smoke and fire, which resulted in his death. We honor his service. That wraps up episode 87. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. We are in iTunes or Apple Podcasts, what other people are calling it these days. We are Stitcher Radio, Google Play. You can find us also on Spotify. Any podcatcher of your choice, you can find us there. Thanks. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to listen to Undersecretary Reeves' powerful story. I know he appreciates everybody who tuned in uh, and is honored to serve veterans in that capacity. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DEPT Vet Affairs. Also on Facebook at Facebook.com/slash Veterans Affairs. I'm Timothy Lawson. Signing off.